0: Welcome, birders. This is Ed Bullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I've had lots of guests on the podcast who are avid travelers. Many are interested in exploring as many places and seeing as many birds as they can get. My guest on this show takes a different approach to exploring nature and birding. He is interested in birds, and really in almost all other aspects of nature, in a hyper-focused area around his home. Matt Goff lives in Sitka, Alaska. Here's how Matt puts it.
1: Many people sort of say, all right, I'm going to be interested in this group, and I'm going to go all over the place for that group. So that's your traveling birder. You know, they're really into birds, and they're into birds everywhere. For me, I'm really into here and everything that's here. And the further away you get from here, the less excited I am about it. And it's just partly it's just like there's only so much you can do. (laughs) And so those are the sort of the, the boundaries I'm putting around what I'm doing.
0: I really appreciate friends who are really knowledgeable about the other things we see. We're out birding seeing animals and plants and butterflies. Everything is really cool, but I have to say I just am not very knowledgeable about most of those things. My good birding buddy Ken Brown is a good example. He'll often point out a butterfly or a tree or a mushroom or a wildflower or whatever we come across and and name it and uh, maybe tell me some things about it. And I wish I had the drive to learn about these things, too. I just have had trouble getting focused on learning about a broader swath of things natural. I've not met many others who have the type of broad-based interest that Matt has one who comes to mind is Mike Denny. Mike was a previous guest on the show on episode number 63. You can hear more about it on that episode. And Mike seems to have an incredibly broad-based knowledge and just seems to know everything about everything. But still, I think even Mike is not as focused on his home turf, on his immediate local area as Matt is. Uh, Enough said. I think you'll enjoy hearing from Matt Goff on the Bird Banner podcast, episode number 136. Welcome, Matt. Matt, welcome to the podcast. I, you were recommended by, to me by John Anderson, a friend from Olympia, who I think you met uh, on a birding trip. And he said, boy, it'd be fun to have you talk with somebody who has their own radio show. And I said, sounds good to me. So, Matt, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I remember meeting John. It's the it's really the only trip I've ever done specifically for for birding. We went to ADAC and with my son. It was prompted by my son who, who was Really into birds, and otherwise I probably wouldn't have gone. But
0: how how old is your son now?
1: Uh he's turning twenty one. Well, probably by the time this airs is out there, he'll be twenty one. So he's okay. Uh, still, I think can, would be considered a young birder.
0: But yeah, uh as that you know. goes, yes, it depends on your age. You know, if you're thirteen, you yep. might not say that. But <laughs> if you're my age, he's definitely a young birder.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a bit more ambition than I do. He just he recently last month I think got his second first state record at the age of 20 still so um kind of uh yeah I still wow. don't have one I've been at it a lot longer than he has
0: <laughs> a first a first alaska state record is something because yeah. a lo- it, uh, I mean, you've got uh, people out on the islands like adak and Atu and gamba well, they get all the crazy stuff from asia and yeah. uh, and you know down where you are in sitka you get a lot of the i'm guessing you get a lot of overshoots from from you know british columbia washington the west coast
1: yeah, it's uh, m- more often the unusual birds are, are those and especially in the fall. Um, he this one that he got most recently was a, a pelagic bird. He he got a job working on a fishing boat. Mm. So he's out. He's out not like far offshore, but there was a wedge tailed shearwater that showed up, which was the first first record mm. for Alaska. His his other one was in the fall. It was a Laconte sparrow. If,
0: Very nice.
1: Not one anybody expected to show up here, but he, he happened to find it and get pictures. And so that was it.
0: Very nice. Lacan seems to be one of those birds that just shows up in bizarre places. Mm. Yeah. I, I got a Lacan, I didn't find it. I chased a Lacan spur to Seattle at a Discovery Park in Seattle a few years ago. Uh, Just popped up there like, what's it doing here? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah. Anyway.
1: The joy of birds, I guess, is the the lottery aspect of it. at least part of it is, you know, that that what do they say, intermittent reinforcement where you, you it know, is. go out and then every once in a while you get the big, big prize.
0: Very nice. Yeah. Wedgetail shearwater. That boy, I'd love to see that. That is, I'm going on a pelagic, a big pelagic trip coming up uh, on Labor Day with a friend of mine. There's a uh, company that takes a boat out of San Diego on, on a boat called the Searcher. Uh, and they do a five-day pelagic. It's way It goes oh. up inside the Channel Islands and way out to sea. And it's a really cool trip. I did it once before. And it's just, you know, you can get anything on that. And Wedgetail wow. Shearwater is one of those anythings that, you know, probably won't get it, but you never know. That's
1: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty amazing trip. Five days out at sea. Uh, it, have a chance to get your sea legs, I guess. <laughs> I'm
0: hoping. I'm hoping. Yeah. The last time I did it, we had good weather and it was just spectacular. Shirt pants and t-shirts and sunscreen. And it was great, but you never know. You never know. Anyway, Matt, you've been doing this radio show in Sitka for years and years. And how did that come about? How did you you start a radio show?
1: Well, we have a a very active, vibrant, local uh, public radio station. It's really a community radio station Uh, So it does have NPR stuff on it, but much of the programming is from local volunteers. So there's opportunities. They do trainings a couple of times a year, opportunities to go in and learn how to to do a show. Uh, I was interested in, what really got me interested in it was just knowing that people are out all the time seeing stuff, especially in places like Sitka, which you know, the, uh, probably a higher proportion of the population is just out and about recreating. They like to get out. And so they're seeing things, but they don't necessarily know that anybody is interested or cares, but I do. <laughs> so I thought, well, how can I let them know that I am interested? And maybe, you know, I might think now, I didn't think about it quite in these terms at the time, but but kind of normalize the sharing and what folks are seeing out there just because it's it's interesting. Uh, and folks like to know, I like to know what's going on out there. So yeah, I got this idea to to. Uh, start this radio program and and just visit with people for an hour every every other week and yeah 2012 so I recently earlier this year um, marked 10 years of, of doing this show and it's been great you know it is sometimes a challenge to to keep up with the regularity of it and making sure I have a guest to, to talk to and and those sorts of things but uh, I have heard from many people over the years that have shared stuff with me because they knew I was interested. And that's, that's part of why I went into it. And plus I just like talking to people about natural history stuff uh, where I live. So it's been great.
0: It sounds like it. I, I got to listen to, I got a chance to listen to a couple of your shows uh, and I listened to your 10 year anniversary show. And w- while I was listening to that, I, I realized I'm talking to a birder, but I'm talking to a naturalist. I mean, you, you, you've done things I'd never even heard of, like a, a bio blitz and an all species big year. You guys talked about those things. Tell me what a bio blitz is.
1: Yeah, bio blitz is often, there's there's one, they, they happen periodically. Usually what it is, it's a day or a weekend. Sometimes it can be even a little bit longer. But the idea of a bio blitz is to sort of intensively document as much as you can. In birding equivalent, it's like a big day you know, or, or or what do they have? Those, those uh, sort of semi-competitive things Mm -hmm. uh, where teams go out, but a bio blitz is usually, it's just like, how much can we all get? And you can do them in a lot of different ways. Often what people will do uh, if it's pretty well organized. I think there's one that's regularly happens out of Whistler. My brother's uh, participated in that in uh, Southwestern BC there and they've been doing it for years and years and they bring in specialists every year. And so specialists mm-hmm. will come in and they're looking specifically for the things that, that they're specialist in, because as you might imagine, there's a lot of stuff out there. And um, you know, if, if you don't, you know, you ask a non-birder what a bird is and they're not going to be able to tell you. So it's uh, it's helpful to have folks that, that come in. So you can treat it a, a variety of ways, but basically the idea is to observe document record as many species as you can. It's sort of like a snapshot in time of, of the best that we can say about what's here right now. And so that's the BioBlitz. Yeah.
0: Do people go to a microscopic level? Does somebody uh, dig up a drop of muck from the bottom of the ocean and see how many different uh, you know, protozoans and various things they can find? Or is it more bigger stuff?
1: Well, yes. Um, it, it really just depends on the participants and the organizers. If the organizers are interested in supporting that and they have people willing to do that, then absolutely anything alive, you know, is, can can be part of that. But the bits that we did here, I don't think there was too much. I don't think there was too many people that were into into those things. So we just didn't have the resources. It would have certainly the species, if anybody had been, those species would have gone into the species totals and species lists. Um so yeah
0: so in a place like sitka you have you have a pretty good number of birds but uh, i'm guessing there's more plants i mean just anywhere you think there'd be more i don't know are there more plants and uh, other things than there are birds or what what uh, what proportions come up on an all species big you know day or oh whatever?
1: yeah so so the bio blitz so yeah you also asked about the all species figures so so the thing that was frustrating for me about a bio blitz is is I wanted to go with several different experts to learn about the stuff,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you have such a limited time window, you can go with like one or two. And so you don't really have the opportunity. And I uh, had, having been involved in in birds and in birding for a while as well, was very much aware of the big year idea where you can mm-hmm. see as many birds as you can. In a right. Year. And so I kind of blended those two things and thought, well, if I had a whole year, then we could bring in you know specialists throughout a year it didn't end up working out that way when we tried it but um but that was the idea and so we just take a full year to observe as many species as we can and some things are you know just like birds in migration if you do if you do a a big day one part of the year you're going to get potentially a very different species mix than a different part of the year so if you look at a full year then you have the opportunity to to uh, target those things when they're around, mushrooms, for example, are something that that many of them are, are ephemeral. They're only there for you know sure. two days or a week or two. Uh, so so that was that was kind of the genesis of this all species. And then why not make it everybody, right? So that's the bio aspect. Is we're doing everything. It's not just me doing a big year. It's everybody. Let's see how much we can we can do all together. And so that was the idea. Probably there's a couple of hundred bird species that show up in any given year. So there's the mm-hmm. regulars, and then you know you can expect to find vagrants. You just don't know what they are mm-hmm. uh, going to be ahead of time. So I would say a couple of hundred species of birds in a given year is roughly what you might see. My best year so far here is 179, mm-hmm. which I which I got last year. But and that's that's if you include some offshore stuff and that kind of thing as well. Um, sure. Plant-wise, there's uh vascular plants. I would say it wouldn't be hard for me to get three three hundred species or so, uh, in the same area that I'm birding. You know, and so so covering similar amount of ground probably. Right. And and that's the ones that I am familiar enough with that I could get. There's probably more like four hundred and maybe more. Uh, and then you know, then you get into lichens and fungi and uh, bryophytes, so mosses and liverworts, and yeah, and then insects, and then. All, all the things you know, uh, it it expands dramatically. I think so far I'm, I'm not quite to twenty five hundred different taxa that I've documented. Um, it, you know, taking pictures of and posted on iNaturalist kind of thing is how I keep track. So, um, so and there's lots more that I that I haven't haven't documented. Sure.
0: Seen, so, so when a group does something like a bio blitz, do they do you set up an iNaturalist page that everybody shares to? Is that how you count it all?
1: That is not what we did at the time because iNaturalist. So we did this BioBlitz here locally in 2012. But okay, but I think that is often what people will do. So then you just have spreadsheets of people. You know, somebody's got a text. sure.
0: <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, yeah, iNaturalist makes it a lot easier because you can get people out there with their cell phones, just taking pictures and putting them directly into the app, and then and then it automatically compiles them all. Um, and it, again, it depends a little bit on how much you're going to depend on experts where you're going to need collections for them to review and, and those sorts of things like uh, birds. You don't need that. Um, and most plants, you don't need that, but there are some thing groups where you just, you have to have it in hand and do the, do the work. Sure. Uh, And so, so it, it just, it depends a little bit on that, but iNaturalist does provide a platform that makes it a lot easier to keep track of some of those things.
0: Yeah, e- eBird has gotten so that on Christmas Bird Counts or pretty much anything like that, big years, big days, eBirds become the the standard, you know, pretty much the gold standard, I think, for anything like that. I'm gonna switch subjects. I have never been to the to the what I guess you call the panhandle of Alaska, the whole uh, area of Alaska that extends uh, southwest from the main chunk of Alaska that's yeah up, up north. Tell me about Sitka. I I looked it up on Wikipedia and found out that it sounds like it's the biggest city in the country. <laughs> in terms of land mass.
1: That is uh, true. Yeah.
0: Which is it a whole county also the same as the city or is there a separate right.
1: that is that is the that is sort of the quirk in it is that it's the and it, alaska it isn't counties it's boroughs and then mm-hmm. the sitka and there's a couple of other places as well in the state that that have done the same thing have a unified city and borough so it's just it's all considered the city however of that actual like where people are living is a very very small percentage of of the total area a lot of that area includes a lot of ocean uh, and a lot of uh, you know essentially, well, actually some of it's actual designated wilderness, but it's what people would call very wild <laughs> and uninhabited places, mm-hmm. uh, at least by people with, with uh, houses and such.
0: I, a, a little funny thing. I looked up, I thought, how would you get to Sitka? I'm guessing driving there is not that practical, if possible. It's certainly not that practical for people who don't live near there. Uh, and I looked at how flying to Sitka? Well, so it turns out, at least on Priceline yesterday to fly to Sitka from Seattle is pretty easy, a couple hundred bucks and you fly in, but to fly from Anchorage is like way more. (laughs) Is Sitka a lot nearer Seattle or is it just there's more air traffic from Seattle? What's the story there?
1: Yeah, it is... Similarly, similar distance is a little over eight hundred miles. I think I, when you fly from Sitka to Seattle, and it's not quite that far to Anchorage, but I think it is volume. Most of the folks flying out of here, there's a immense, especially this time of year, an immense amount of visitor traffic coming from south. And so they're coming here to visit. Uh, many of them are coming to go fishing. Uh, you know mm-hmm. fishing is pretty big here, but others are just coming to to visit and be tourists, you know. So flying is that there is, is as large as the city is officially, there is 14 miles from one end of the road to the other. That is as far as you can drive. So you're not going to get anywhere here by driving. <laughs> uh, you can ferry. Uh, the ferry service is OK. It, it's It's been worse and it's definitely been better. Um, they're trying to get it more stabilized. It's a state ferry. Uh, but most people come, they fly in. Um, and there's people, if you have a boat and you want to sail, uh, you know, run the inside passage in your boat, it's certainly feasible to do that. There are many uh, commercial fishermen who fish up here in the summers and live in Puget Sound area in the winter, and they take their boat back and forth uh, seasonally that way. And and many people uh, come up in the summer just as visitors as well on pleasure boats that are suitable, <laughs> that or they consider suitable for for that sort of a trip.
0: Okay. I've really only been to Alaska once. It was a long, long, long time ago. And I went to Anchorage and Denali and Nome. Uh, and I was in Nome on the summer solstice. And it was, you know, long, long, I mean, hardly twilight at night. Uh, what is it like in Sitka? I, I know it's obviously north of here. It doesn't seem that far north of here. Uh, what are you? How short are your days in the winter? What's the season like there?
1: Yeah, I often think of Sitka as being kind of like Seattle, but about ten degrees cooler and quite a bit wetter. Uh, that's that's sort of the rough the rough hand of of what it is. So in the winter time, we'll have, you know, it does get cold. It does get down into the twenties and sometimes into the teens or even single digits. But that's kind of unusual. We're we're out. Uh, you know, other places in Southeast Alaska get much cooler in the winter and much warmer in the summer because uh, they have a more continental influence. We're so far out uh, on the outside that it's much more dominated by that. hyper maritime. is basically, I guess what they call it, dominated by that ocean influence there. And day length wise in the winter, our days, the shortest days are about six hours um, of, of between sunrise and sunset, but with, you know, I'm sure you're familiar from Seattle area uh, and and those who, who live on the West Coast. Some of those days are very gray and dim. So it's not really, you know, you think <laughs> about how high the sun is getting on the horizon, which or in the sky, which isn't that high that time of year. I think on winter solstice, it gets about 10 degrees above the horizon at its mm-hmm. highest. And then you add a thick layer of clouds on top of that. And you're like, it's, it's perpetual twilight some of those days. But in the summer, then we get, you know, the opposite of that, I guess, which is, you know, six hours of, of night. But of course, there's always, it's always light in the north. Uh, if it's a clear day, you can always see that the the it, it isn't like dark, dark. Um, so long days, yeah, in the summer. and uh, But, you know, hot days here, uh, we might hit 70 a few times in the summer. Some summers, not even once, but most summers we get there a couple of times and those feel like hot days for us much more typical is 50s, upper 50s and lower 60s.
0: So just a fairly mild weather, coolish mild weather with a lot of rain almost all the yes. time.
1: Yeah, we our dry season. What passes for a dry season here, we still average two to three inches of rain a month. And that's May, May, June. Uh, and mm. then the fall is our wettest season. And that can start, it can start as early as August, but, but the most sort of, classic fall weather is typically expected in October, November, and then we're getting like 13 to 18 inches of rain a month and topography matters of course. So I think in the Seattle area, you know, there's, there's a big gradient, like some places not that far apart, get very different amounts of rainfall. So sure. The totals that I'm saying are for the airport, which is probably one of the drier places because it's further away from the slopes and, and that, but um but that's what we have the the data for.
0: So yeah. So Matt, you are an avid birder in the Sitka area. How did you get started in birding? Tell me your birding story.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, and I'm, I don't know. I haven't. I've, I've the, the birders that I've met have tended to be traveling birders because they're coming here. I am I am about as locally oriented a birder. I, in fact, I had I had mixed feelings about going to Adak because they were going to be some of the, they're going to be the first birds on my list that I hadn't seen in Southeast Alaska. And there were only three birds of the 200 and some I've seen that weren't in Sitka. Uh, and so, like, I have like I have a sense of of my sense of athet- aesthetics is that I really prefer. Like, like, that's the list that matters the most to me. Um, but I got started here about 2003. It was actually with my first, for me, natural history. The, the doorway to that has really been photography. I started wanting to take pictures of flowers in the late 90s. I was home for the summer from school. I grew up here. And so I would come home in the summers and I'd go hiking, which I like to do. And then I thought, oh, I'd take some pictures of flowers. What I didn't know is it triggered some of my sort of obsessive tendencies towards like, well, now what's the name of it? And how many can I get? And and all of these things that I do that many birders are pretty familiar with, uh, those those tendencies. But it was really around, I was taking these pictures and that's how I was figuring it out. So I had pictures like dark-eyed is one of the most common birds here I with my first, this is before I got into digital, my first camera, I have it. I still have it, it's some uh, a picture of a dark eyed junco. And I was like, I put it on my uh, website at the time and it's like, I don't know what this bird is, but I, I followed it around a little bit. Fast forward a few years later, I moved back full-time here in 2002 and got my first digital SLR not too long after that. So around probably late that fall or 2003 and I got a 100 to 300 millimeter lens. Which was enough for me to more consistently take pictures of birds, and so then I started taking pictures of birds. But for me, it's always been about the everything of here, and so I was really interested in birds because they are one of the things that's here. Uh, as it happened, I got um, I went to my first Christmas bird count in two thousand four, I think. Mm-hmm. Met a couple of ladies who had been here for decades at that point and had been keeping bird records since nineteen eighty. So that would have been you know going on twenty five years at that point. And I feel like they kind of took me under their wing a little bit. I'm not sure what they what they saw in me or whatever. And I know that they actually uh, encouraged many people in in birding over the years. But I started visiting with them and getting to understand the 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 history of birding here or birders here and the records and and really that was something that interested me. So I started. Um, compiling uh, you know looking at the information they were having and and, new, and compiling my own and, and those sorts of things now eBird's making that easier with with contemporary observations and so forth and just like building a list. What's the checklist for Sitka and, and doing those sorts of things. Uh, and so that's that's kind of how I got started really still. I, I like to take pictures of things. Now I know the birds well enough I don't try and take pictures of every, every last thing um, every day. it's it's the new ones I definitely want pictures of. But it's, it's, um, that, yeah, that's kind of how I got started, I guess.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Now, there's a website that I've kind of learned about you and your show and such, uh, Sitka Nature. Is that the show of the, is that your website or is that the website of the, yeah, uh, that's, that's your website? I wasn't sure if it was of the, the TV station's website or your website.
1: No, that one's mine. The, uh, the radio station here is Raven Radio, uh, appropriate for, for birding podcasts, KCAW. So I guess KCA. <laughs> they get Raven Radio. uh. So it has its own site. But yeah, the show is, is you, you know, I do it for the radio station, but I've since the beginning posted it on my own site for folks to listen to if they like. If I were a little more, uh, you know, s- uh, social, social uh, web savvy, I'd probably have podcasted it at some point along the way. But so that, but that site, yeah, that site, I have what I also call, I call my photo journal there. And it, it's really, I've, I've kind of, struggled to figure out how best to to do it because I'm not sure everybody wants to read. Basically, they're my daily journals uh, and mm-hmm. I don't always keep up with posting them. But like for me, it's sometimes I just feel like, oh, these must be kind of boring to people because I'm just like, it's really, it's not very refined. It's just like, here's what I did today kind of things. And here's some pictures that that support that. But I've I've always just, it's put it up there on online and had intentions of refining it and having things that are a little more digestible for people. But but I take a lot of pictures. I've done some recordings, and I post my radio shows there. And it's a way for me to just kind of keep track of everything and have it be accessible. And so when I'm talking to somebody about something, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I saw that thing," and I can pull it up on my website and show them, and and those sorts of things. But yeah, I've been I've been doing that for boy I, I mean, in its current iteration, maybe only almost twenty years, but but another five in in various other forms as well before that.
0: Well, I saw it. That's cool. I, I have to say I've toyed with different websites over the years. I'm a family doctor and I had a, a drpullen.com website where I just wrote about anything related to medicine that interested me and that's no longer exists. But anyway, different things. And websites are cool. I think they can be really fun and, and are you know pretty easy in terms of if you're going to be into anything technical IT, there, not that difficult. Anyway, I'm going to kind of switch it up again. You said that you really have birded around Sitka, pretty much Sitka, almost exclusively. And then it sounds like you broke your rule about e-birding. I saw you were in Seattle the other day.
1: <laughs> yeah, that wasn't for birding. I, I had to decide whether to keep my e-bird streak, checklist streak, or solely my map, so to speak. And I decided I valued the streak more than I, I valued the clean map because it's easy <laughs> enough to just only look at my Alaska observations of Sitka observations. Sure. So so I kept my streak going. But yeah, my daughter wanted to go see Comic-Con, uh, which was happening. And my brother lives in Seattle. So we went and stayed with him and, and spent a day there. And and nice. yeah, my observations there were mostly just at my brother's house, the birds that were the birds that were, were moving around. And they're you know, we don't have black capped chickadees here in Sitka, uh, so it's interesting to hear them. But pretty much all the other birds that I was hearing or seeing there uh were ones that I'm you know, it's it's part of an extension of the same ecozone. There are definitely birds that are there that aren't here and, and vice versa, I'm sure. But very a lot of overlap in species.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a big overlap that has to be the you know, the yeah, uh, you know, Western coniferous forest kind of just goes from here to there once you to get off the coast just a little bit anyway so uh you mentioned that you've uh, i know i saw on your website that kayaking uh is uh kind of a big thing in sitka do you do much kayaking
1: i don't do too much kayaking myself the sort of sitting in a kayak for a while like puts one of my legs to sleep and then it's not so easy to stand up <laughs> and then if the <laughs> waves are waves are coming in a little bit it can be a little bit tricky and so I do enjoy getting out on a boat. Uh there's definitely a whole you don't even have to go that far. You know the beauty is my, like I said my son is is fishing. He's a deckhand on a charter boat and they're going mm-hmm. you know it's it's quite a few miles out of out of town the harbor but but really not much more than you know a few miles offshore. Mm-hmm. Uh and and he's been seeing shearwaters and albatross and uh, and many other species. So there's a, it's a pretty rich bird life on the sound. So it is great to get out. If people enjoy kayaking, the, the other thing that, that puts me off a little bit from kayaking and birding is I really like to take pictures and salt water and camera equipment don't mix so well. So I would need to get like a super zoom, a, a decent super zoom that I'd was willing to sacrifice if it came to it kind of yeah. thing. like I wouldn't be too brokenhearted about it because yeah. it would really frustrate me to see birds that I couldn't take pictures of because that's <laughs> kind of how I, I do things. So that's how you roll. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah
0: I, I just got a new camera. So I'm excited about uh, playing with it and figuring it out. You know, digital photography is so it's just easy these days. Yeah. I mean, to be, maybe not easy to be really, really good, but easy to get some fun pictures. Yeah. And you get
1: such immediate feedback and, and boy, you know, it's so much easier to document a rarity if, if you, you know, my my philosophy is take pictures first, ask questions later. And I understand that there's some sort of old school, like you should really take your time and observe the bird and all that. And and I get the value of that, but it's still, I it's like there are times that the LeConte sparrow that I mentioned earlier, my son saw, it, it popped up and was just there briefly long enough for him to get a couple of pictures. There's no way anybody would have ever accepted a LeConte sparrow based on without pictures, you know, here, uh, for sure he got pictures that were diagnostic, uh, you, you know, nobody's going to publish them in magazines is, is pretty pictures, but <laughs> they were, they were good pictures for, for documenting. And so, yeah, that's just, and, and I enjoy photography, so that makes it easier also.
0: Yeah. So Matt getting back to the birds of Sitko, what sort of vagrants show up there? You said overshoots from the South Did you get Asians vagrants way in there. What happened? What happens there?
1: yeah, it's interesting. most of the, so so, and maybe this is true elsewhere as well. in some ways, the best vagrant season is October, November. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which is kind of a I, it took me a while to realize that, but one year we had this massive influx of of warblers and uh, it, around that time, and uh, they concentrated and maybe part of it is that there's limited space. There's a, a hill downtown that has a bunch of maple trees on it, and those maples most years keep their leaves into November. But we don't, you know, it's coniferous forest. We don't have a lot of deciduous trees and the alders have long shed their leaves. And so so the it tends to concentrate, which is is nice there. But in terms of vagrants, most most of the vagrants I've seen have been from the South. Birds going the wrong direction, the occasional spring overshoot, but I think fall birds are often going the wrong direction. We had a couple of gray cat birds here last year. Um, there was a ruff that showed up. So I guess that's more of an Asian bird. In the past, we've had a, We actually had a spring uh, common cuckoo uh, one year. Uh, There's been a rustic bunting from Asia, brambling a couple of different times in the time I've been birding. A dusky thrush showed up one winter. That was kind of, that's the only Asian bird I've actually found. Um, So those are the Asian ones, but yeah, much more, much more typical is uh, the yellow headed blackbird showed up in the summer, which I would imagine is a overshoot and wandering kind of bird. And then yeah, the the um the and then there's just the ones that are kind of vagrants for here, but they're really not that vagranty. They're they're more like, well, they took a variation on a migration route. And so we almost mm-hmm. never see them, but but they ended up out here, and so they're a good record for us. So something like a Magnolia warbler or a McGillivray's warbler or something might, like that might be uh, of, of that nature. And then there's the yeah, the 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 seabirds, which is really underexplored here. Um there's not that many people out birding on the ocean there's fishermen out there and but there's not too many fishermen birders so but there have been south polar skuas report reported documented over the years and and this wedge-tailed shearwater um, short-tailed albatross gets over here from time to time uh, and and probably others as well mink shearwater is becoming more regular in the last decade and a half or so so Kind of a mix, you know, there was, um. I don't know if you, there's Middleton Island, which is the middle of the Gulf of Alaska. And a few years ago, they, I think it was a three-year study where they had a biologist out there. Um, I think it was Luke DeChico is his name. He grew up in Alaska, but I believe he's works in Kansas now. And he was out (laughs) there
0: from the ocean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were out there and they were getting birds of kind of amazing birds from both directions. And so this is like the middle of the Gulf of Alaska is these birds that are clearly lost and, and they find the land there. But what that makes me think is that these birds are crossing through Southeast Alaska going both ways. And there's so little coverage of Southeast Alaska. Like we have these little tiny spots of, of human habitation and, and a few birders in those places, but there's so much area that birds can be moving through. There's, I'm sure, and it's probably true everywhere, even when there's dense populations, but there's there's birds that are going unreported all the time from both directions really uh so it it's one of those things that would be um it'd be interesting to know you know here's all the birds that move through if somehow there was a magic way of doing that but
0: uh <laughs> it would be cool you wonder i mean even with the amount of birders that are out there now you know we miss almost all uh, the out of position birds i mean it's, you just you wouldn't see them you know they just yeah. buzz through or Passover or whatever. Uh, I, I haven't, again, I haven't been to Southeast Alaska, but I'm envisioning that there are towns like Sitka, cities like Sitka, and then there's a stretch where the forest just meets the water. And so there's not very little open area for birds that don't like a, a dense coniferous forest. And then another, you know, another city or town with a little open area. Is that so what it's like?
1: Yes. But there are, um, estuaries so we're even even on Baranoff island which is where sitka is uh there's decent sized estuaries estuary meadows so you get Mm -hmm. those okay we also get what we call muskegs or bogs so they're Mm -hmm. some some open country that way uh sitka itself doesn't have a lot of open the bet the the biggest open area is the airport which understandably is not a real fan of attracting birds or wanting birds to be around so they're doing their best to scare them away (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and birders are over there sort of peering over the fence, hoping, hoping to see, you, you know, uh, there was a buff breasted sandpiper that showed up there a couple of falls ago. And, uh, which is pretty unusual for here. The mm-hmm, sure. blackbird showed up there last summer. So there, are, there are species that like those, that open country, which, which probably just moved through here quickly because there's so little of it. Uh, but there are other places in Southeast that have even more, especially on the mainland where you have larger rivers, even more extensive wetlands and, um, and open open meadow areas often associated with uh, rivers, or but Gustavus, which is uh, kind of at the entrance to Glacier Bay, is the Gustavus forelands and Yakutat, which is also further north along the North Coast, have these these forelands which are much flatter uh, and have have open open country there, extensive beach margins. So there are places, but there's nobody around there looking for those, <laughs> or, or not too often anyway. Gustavus has some birds. Uh, and they found some remarkable birds there, but yeah, it is most of, most of it. It's always interesting to go to Seattle and imagine in my head what it was like before it was all city, you you know, and, and I know there's a mix of habitats and, and such that were there, but it's Southeast Alaska is, is very rugged. Um, most places, the mountains just go right out of the ocean. It's all glacially carved, very difficult to do development on, um, which is nice for the wilderness sort of aesthetic. Not so nice if, you know, you want your land prices to be relatively inexpensive. So, you know, there's trade-offs in terms of people living here and 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 just the difficulty and the expense of moving stuff around and getting stuff here. Mm-hmm. But it's it's great for getting out and 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 being in nature in a way that that feels like it's it's not significantly compromised by development and, and all of those things.
0: It sounds like it. I I also heard on your uh, on your radio show that uh, it sounds like you do quite a bit of hiking around. I do.
1: Yeah, I like to get out, um, especially this time of year, and both on trails and just wandering in the backcountry. You know, off off official routes here. Most mountains have people that most places. I like to say that that pretty much any place you can think that you might want to go, somebody's probably already gone because that's the kind of people that live here. And there's an awful lot of places you'd never think to go that somebody's already tried to go based on talking to people on their (laughs) horror stories of, of getting, getting cliffed out in places. But there's a really nice trail system here. There's a, a local group called Sitka trail works that has developed a trail plan of 20 years ago. And they're really just about done with that and looking towards a, a a new future of, of trails a variety of difficulties from multi-use trails where people are biking and, and hiking, walking to, you know, mountain trails that are going up hills and, and uh, yeah, you want to, you want to be in some pretty good shape to, (laughs) to, to navigate those, but it is, yeah, it's, it's great to get out on the trails and, and, and beyond. Uh, around here. I like to do that a lot.
0: Yeah. The other thing that uh, that uh, impressed me is, I think that's the right word, impressed me on listening to a couple of your shows, was that it sounds like you have a, a really broad educational or knowledge base, at least, background in, in a lot of the natural sciences. What What's your educational background and what do you do for a day job?
1: Yeah, I my background is actually math and statistics, if you can believe it. I haven't taken a formal biology related class in a long time Uh, actually never since high school Uh, I did a couple of workshops for stuff I'm just really interested and really curious and I like talking to people so like for example my radio show gives me an opportunity to talk to people a kind of couple of broad classes of folks that I speak to I speak to people that are just enthusiastic about the outdoors and getting out and curious naturalists uh, or just outdoors people uh, and then also people that are specialists in in something in particular. And so I get to learn by tagging along with them and talking with them. And so really, it's it's I'm very curious and very interested in anything that's here. Many people sort of say, all right, I'm going to be interested in this group and I'm going to go all over the place for that group. So that's your traveling birder, you know, they're mm-hmm. really into birds and they're into birds everywhere. For me, I'm really into here and everything that's here. And the further away you get from here, the less excited I am about it. And it's just partly, it's just like, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> and so those are the sort of the, the boundaries I'm putting around what I'm doing. And and I used to teach and, and still do on occasion math, uh, a little, a local college here that that shut down some years ago. And since then, I've just, I've done a variety of different things to, to pay the bills, working over the internet, uh, teaching as an adjunct and and really, you know, whatever what, whatever opportunities come up, uh, and and help pay the bills, but mostly I'm just interested in in living here and and being able to get out and and uh, experience and connect with and learn about everything I can um in the natural world here.
0: What well, sounds like a good life you've put together for yourself, matt uh, i uh, I really appreciate to get the chance to talk to you. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Well, yeah, through my website's probably the easiest way is sitkanature.org um and my email that I the primary email I think there's contact information you can leave a comment there on on any of the pages I'll see it or you can send me also email sitcanature at gmail.com is my is my uh, main e- email address that that I'm using right now and I'm yeah I'm happy to to if people are visiting Sitka and interested in what's here or something I'm I'm happy to offer offer ideas you know i it's been interesting i've gone with birders a couple times and i realized that we're visiting and i realized it's better for me to just ask what they want to see because chances are good they're going to see want to see something that i consider just like normal and never would think about somebody wanting to see chestnut back chickadee you know yeah they're all yeah. over the place why would i think to go look for that <laughs> so
0: well,
1: yeah you're if you're, if you Al- if you're from place,
0: alabama that would be a right,
1: good bird that's that's exactly what i learned and so it's just easiest to just ask so Folks are interested in seeing something in particular. Um, happy to offer suggestions on how best to do that if they're they're visiting and and yeah, happy to happy to share what I'm doing around here as well. You can just follow my follow my stuff on on my website there.
0: Very cool. Well, it's fun to share what you're passionate about with people who are also interested, and uh, you do a great job of that on the radio show. I was pretty impressed, I have to say. And ten years! Oh my goodness, that is serious endurance for something like that.
1: Well, it, it, it sneaks by on you. It adds up and suddenly, yeah, it it's, I, yeah, just keeps going as part of the routine and, and 10 years isn't what it used to be in my experience. <laughs>
0: The older you get, the faster the years. I joke, the the longer the days last, and the faster the years go by. But anyway, Matt, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. It's always fun to hear from somebody who's passionate about what they do and that I'm also interested in. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Well. That wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 136 with Matt Goff. It was great to hear about Sitka, Matt's passion for the natural world he lives in, to hear about different perspective on birding. Please let me know who you'd like to hear from in future episodes on the Bird Banner Podcast. You can get me on the contact page on the BirdBannerCare.com website or reaching out to me whatever way you want. I'm at Bird Banner on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Bird Banner Podcast on Facebook. And thanks again for listening. Until next time. Good birding. Good day.